All right, welcome to Common Chat, episode number 91. I'm nine weeks away from my 100th episode, and I can't say it doesn't feel amazing, because it does. I didn't think I was going to put in 20, but um, I'm pushing 100, so I'm proud of myself. Uh, I'm your host, Glenn McGee. I'm a 10-year comedian in the Phoenix, Arizona area. I'm originally from Compton, California. Um, You can find me on Facebook, Glendon McGee, or on IG, Instagram, or The Gram, at GM3Comedy. That's at GM, the number three, and the word comedy. And you will see my mug pasted up on your phone or your computer and you can hit that follow and when i get notified that you're following me i'll hit that follow back because uh i think that's how it goes um today's date is tuesday july the 19th 2022 um i just want to say before i get started that uh, I love all of you, and I am more than happy and grateful and besides myself with joy <laughs> for you uh, deciding to join me for another um, episode of this podcast called Comic Chat, uh, which can be found on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Radio Public, and Breaker. And also right here on this lovely casting platform called Anchor. There are 90 other episodes that you can listen to. Um, 91 after I uh, shut my big mouth. Um, but uh, sadly, I have to start this episode with a moment of silence. I feel really bad because I'm not really familiar with this guy or his work, but um, Jack Knight, comedian, animator, actor, just just an all-around successful dude, uh, passed away at the age of 28. I don't even know how he died because I really, um, I'm really not familiar with him. So when I heard that like he died i was i knew who he was but i just was not familiar with any of his work and i know that's a kind of shocking to a lot of people that may be listening to this podcast but um well you're just going to have to be shocked i can't really <laughs> i don't know what to say about that um but he was only 28 years old which is really sad whenever somebody dies like young like that it's it's always sad because they had so much potential and promise left behind here but i can't really say that because if you're you if the universe says it's time for you to come home to the source then that's what it is but anyway a moment of silence for uh mr jack knight you will be missed All right, rest in peace, 
uh, Jack Knight. I, I might go YouTube some of your stuff now and and find out a little bit more about you. Because uh, I really feel terrible that I was um, not aware of any of his work. I just knew of his name. I just wasn't aware of any of his work. I'm probably, I probably am aware of some of his work, but I just didn't know that it was his work. <laughs> but I really, um, you know, I really wish I was a fan of his because from all the uh, posts I, I see on my Facebook, it's a, it's like a tragedy. And uh, I kind of feel, I kind of feel out of sight the loop because I don't know who he is. But um, it's just sad for such a young person to no longer be with us. And uh, it just seems like that's a, a common uh, theme here is people dying young. And uh, it's just really, uh, it's very sad, very sad. But we all have a, a appointed time to leave this place and we don't know when that is. So I guess that uh, really just it kind of teaches me to further appreciate each moment of my life because I've started to learn how to do that now that I've uh, became a meditative being and, you know, opened my third eye and shit. So I'm starting to uh, appreciate the small things and a lot of things that we take for granted, like the, the trees and the sun and even the rain and the wind and, you know, the ability to speak and walk and all that. I just, I think it's so amazing, especially in my case, because I have cerebral palsy. So I really shouldn't even be able to do this podcast because most people who have cerebral palsy are in a way worse condition than I am. And I, and I guess that's uh, why my mother told me that I was blessed when I was a little kid. And I, I believed her because I've seen... Actually, I have an older cousin who was like, uh, I want to say, 57. My cousin James, uh, he has a cerebral palsy. And he was like the first person beside myself that I uh, met that had it too. And he, and he had it a little bit worse than I do. But um, he still gets around, still uh, lives a, a normal life. Shout out to my cousin James. I haven't seen him in years. But, um, yeah, so it just, it's just, uh, it really opens my eyes whenever something like this happens, whenever somebody perishes, especially when they perish young. And, uh, it just makes me realize that a lot of the things that we hold of high regard and of, of importance are not so. Because we can't take anything from this realm with us when we go back to the spirit realm because that's where we came from there's a there's a, a there's a spiritual plane there's a mental there's a mental plane and, and there's a, a physical plane um, and, and those are the three planes of existence in which we exist so we can't really I don't really understand why we uh we attach to to so much stuff 
But I kind of do because when before I started doing all this and I started to try to rewire and reprogram myself, I was attached to a lot of things. I'm still attached to some of those things, but not as attached as I once was. Like growing up, I loved, I mean, loved the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I was, if you was talking shit about the Cowboys, I was there defending them. And I would do research and I would go and, and find stats and, and, and to, to, to handle these weekly arguments with, with people from other, for, uh, with fans from other teams. You know, especially, well, back in those days, it was really just the, uh, it was really just the 49ers fans because that was uh, back when that rivalry was still, was really relevant. Uh, I really missed those days back in the uh, mid-90s to mid to late 90s early 2000s where both franchises were at the peak again Steve Young was the quarterback for the 49ers they had Jerry Rice and Ricky Waters and uh Britt Jones uh for a tight end and Terrell Owens no they didn't have Terrell Owens yet they didn't have Terrell Owens yet I fucking botched that shit it was not Terrell Owens yet I don't I don't remember any of their receivers I think John Taylor was still there I think he was still there. Uh, and, and then they had like Tom Rathman at fullback. And yeah, so you can tell that uh, I had a lot of respect for the 49ers because as a kid, my first, the first quarterback I ever seen win the Super Bowl was Joe Montana. And I thought that Joe Montana was the best quarterback in the world. In the world. Even even though I thought that Randall Cunningham and Warren Moon were some smooth brothers at quarterback. But to me, Joe Montana was the man. So growing up, I had a little love for the 49ers before I became a Cowboys fan. But I just stopped liking the 49ers. I just stopped. I guess because I found out what San Francisco really is like. And then most of their fan base is like really, really white people. So I was like, you know what, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm out. And then I saw um, I saw that star, and that was you know, that was the beginning of my love affair with the Dallas Cowboys because that star was was everything. It spoke to me because, as a kid, that's what I wanted to be. That's what I thought I was. That's what I believed I was on the inside. I believe I was a star so I saw a star on their helmet and I was like I like that team because I'm a star and they wear stars on their head I, I know uh, what is it 10 11 year old me <laughs> don't make much sense to you guys but that's kind of how I thought but I was also a Raiders fan too because when when I was born when I was growing up the Raiders were still in Los Angeles and uh, Bo Jackson was there and you know, it was just basically the silver and black. And they were, you know, the games were on all the time. So I, I had a little love for them, too, until they uh, decided to go back to their original home in Oakland. So I just uh, turned on them. That I, that broke my heart. I know I told that story before. <laughs> broke my heart, though. But I just was like, I can't, you know. I kind of was on the fence with them, like breaking up with them when I found out on Matt 93 that they were originally the Oakland Raiders 
And I'm like, that's like cheering for the 49ers because I live in Southern California and San Francisco and Oakland is in Northern California. So I felt like I was betraying where I was from. They really wasn't my hometown team because Oakland wasn't even in the same region I lived in. So I, it seemed like I, I should have been a Rams fan my whole life. But I, but I just couldn't fuck with the Rams. I just couldn't fuck with the Rams. I didn't like the jerseys. I don't like the colors. I just can't fuck with them. I, I know that they uh, won the Super Bowl or whatever, but fuck them. Fuck them still to this day. They ended up leaving too, which nobody was really sad when they left because they were trash. And that was, um, that was around Jerome Bettis' rookie year. And a lot of people forget that uh, he was a Ram. A Los Angeles Ram, and then he was a St. Louis Ram, and then he got traded to the Steelers, and that's where he basically made his Hall of Fame career and became the guy we know and love as the bus. I don't, I don't even know why I um. Oh yeah, so I was talking about attachment. That's why <laughs> it's an attachment. I just got on this whole sports shit, but that's you know you're getting a peek of of. Little kid me, I was really into sports. I really like watching it. I really like playing sports. Uh, I like to uh, know facts about sports. I knew stats and stuff. It was, it was really a serious addiction to me. And I'm still attached to it somewhat, but not as much. Like not as much. I'm not really into, like, the game. Because I don't really know. I don't really know as much as I used to know about the NBA. Like back when, when the NBA was physical and, and basically white people wanted to see us kill each other over a basketball, it, I knew everything about that shit. Well, once this new Steph Curry arena football type of basketball came around, I kind of just fell off because I knew what they were doing. They were they were creating a um, they were creating an avenue for immigration. You can come for white immigration, basically. Because the NBA is nothing but FIFA. You go to Spain, they play the same type of basketball that you see on TV. And then all these millennials, disrespectful uh, younger millennials, because I'm a millennial too, I'm just an older one. Uh, Younger millennials, they just disrespect everything before them because they have phones and technology. It's like, well... Since we didn't have to do all the, you know, struggling and shit, we're better than everyone. It's like, nah, but you want to kill yourself because somebody told you your face is ugly. I will gladly take all this technology and give it back for people to stop acting like such bitches. I will, I will gladly get rid of all this shit. These phones, fucking streaming and all this old shit. Electric cars, I would take all that shit back. The internet, I would take it all back just for people to stop acting like bitches. Like, that's the one knock that I have on this society is we all act like bitches. But that's all this liberal thinking, which is nothing but sugar-coated conservative Conservative thinking. Conservatives are blunt racist. Liberals, they sugarcoat their racism. I, I, I gave you a, I put some chocolate on nigger. 
now it should go down a little easier. You know, that's that's the mind of of a of a liberal. But it's just, you know, I love like all the advantages that the technology uh gives us. We we can look up things at the drop of a hat and you know, there's a lot of information at our hands, but we are weak. And that's what social media really is showing me that all of America got low self-esteem. Because that's all we do on social media all day, looking for attention. I made a couple reels yesterday. And I was kind of mad at myself because I don't really like doing that shit. But it's kind of me trying to adapt to the, you know, the way things are, the, the, the new age. But I feel like all that reels and shit, bullshit. Because you don't even, if you're really funny, they're not going to like your shit. You got to fucking degrade yourself. You got to put a bucket of chicken on your fucking hands, head and, and dance in your underwear while fucking pouring vinegar all over yourself. Or, or some dumb shit. Like all these fucking challenges. Like I swear to God, if I see one more bitch put her foot on the wall and turn into a handstand, I'ma kill myself. That's why I really can't get down with social media. It's like they whittled uh creativity out of our society. Like you don't have to be creative. You just gotta be ignorant. It seems like a lot of uh, when you're when you're creative, a lot of people distance themselves from you. And it's not just on social media, it's in stand up too. Like a lot of the comedians here that write really hard and, and uh they're actually trying to put together a solid like thirty to forty five. They don't be getting booked. It'd be the three minute comics. Niggas with, with two jokes that work. And, and and a whole bunch of other jokes that are just them wanting to be fucked up. They get booked all the time. Because most people know what they're capable of doing. Especially when they see somebody that's really good at, at stand-up. Most people know that they're not that funny. So they surround themselves with even more unfunny people. To make their unfunniness stand out against the rest. Now that I know about energy, that just keeps you from becoming funny. Because you you don't want to surround yourself with the energy that is holding you back. So if you aren't funny and you surround yourself with unfunny motherfuckers... Then you ain't gonna never get funny. Cause they're gonna keep you unfunny. And that's what this this scene is. They they keep each up we keep each other unfunny here because we lie to each other, telling each other that they're dope and they had a great set and that was fucking funny. And it really don't be funny. Nigga will bomb. Nigga will bomb for seven minutes of a ten minute set, have one joke at the end hit. 
Then on the internet, he's like, I crushed it. Then here come 120 of his fake ass comedian friends that ain't funny either. Giving him like reacts and heart reacts and fucking laugh reacts and shit. Telling him that he was a, he's a beast and all that shit. And, and, and they know that shit ain't true. They know that shit ain't true. And that's the, the one thing that kept me from, from like socializing and trying to get involved with, with the cliques. Because they don't, you, they may be a clique, but they don't even like each other. Because if you like each other, you, you try to better each other. You, you tell each other the truth. You wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, sugarcoat and, and be all passive and shit if you really cared. But that's just the energy of entertainment. Everybody has this mantra that don't work. Fake it till you make it. That's some bullshit. You don't ever have to be fake. You're always supposed to be authentic. But half of us running around here don't even know who we really are. So we don't even know when we're not being fake. And that shit is really uh, contaminating a lot of things. Like everybody, everybody got opinions. But no solutions. And, the, and those with the strongest opinions are the most are the least talented. Shooting just shooting daggers at people because they can't do what they desire to do on stage because they don't care about it. Where your focus is, that's where your manifestation grows. So if you want to manifest if you want to manifest yourself as a successful killer comedian, you have to turn your focus to comedy. But these motherfuckers, they focus is, is clothes and pictures and who they having sex with and what drink they finna throw down their throat. Everything else but stand up. Unless it's talking shit. Somebody say, let's throw a roast. Phoenix Commies all over that. Like this, this, this scene got more gimmick shows than real shows. But everybody should have a special here. According to themselves. Half of the scene don't even open mic. Half of the scene don't even practice. But we want to sit here and hop out. Oh, Phoenix Comedy. We got, we got some pretty talented people here. They're, they're very nice. They're, you know, shut the fuck up. We got a bunch of trash here. This is a social group. In order to get in, you got to hate somebody. And it's usually somebody that's good. Somebody that make everybody else feel insecure about what they do on stage. Like, you know your scene is, is, is lacking talent when people give more of a fuck about their outfit than what comes out of their mouth in front of that microphone. Nigga will go and buy hundreds of dollars worth of clothes and shit just to go bomb in the shit. 
What's good? What's good is looking all uh, buttered up and dripped. If your comedy gonna come out bummy. If you finna if you finna lay an egg on stage, then what the hell is looking good? Like when I start decking myself out, wearing uh wearing fancy shit, I'm finna kill. I'm not gonna ever bomb when I'm when I decide to start showing up and showing out and shit. I don't do that shit now because my focus is mainly on building my act. I don't give a fuck about all that image shit. I'm not on inter- I'm not uh hounding you on Facebook or hounding you on Instagram to follow me. Like I drop it on my po- on my podcast and I end every set with my Instagram handle, but I'm not in your face. Hey, follow me. I need followers. I'm not posting a bunch of reels copycatting other motherfuckers talking about if you want to see some more funny stuff. Follow me. Or you could just keep scrolling down the reels and find niggas who did the same shit that this motherfucker just did. That's my thing. Is like, what happened to originality around this motherfucker? Um, because, I, I don't know, I guess I'm on one now because for the last couple of days, I've been watching like old movies. And uh, a couple of days ago, I watched uh, Jojo Dancer. It was a Richard Pryor film from like the 80s, man. And it was really, it was really good movie because it was basically about trauma. And, and he basically showed you through himself how comedians are made. Because the movie is about a comic. Played by him, named Jojo Dancer, who was a uh, serious, serious addict of drugs and, and partying and liquor and uh, basically, um, they pick they start the movie off from when he set himself on fire, freebasing, and uh, he ended up in a hospital, and then the inner him comes out of his body. And starts talking to him. And then basically they they take a trip throughout JoJo's whole life. Starting from when JoJo was a little boy. And you get to see his relationship with his mama. You see, get to see his relationship with his dad and his grandma. The environment that he was in. And, you know, basically it shows you why he became a comedian. And it was a, it was a great film. And basically, it was it was a message to himself that he needed to get clean, and that's what made me uh, appreciate the movie because I saw a lot of myself in that film. Uh, like it was a, to a it was to a lesser degree, but childhood trauma is childhood trauma. It may not be this. You may I may not have had the same experiences as the, as the JoJo character. But I was familiar with a lot of the trauma and how, you know, his relationship with the women in his life as a child kind of screwed him up as an adult. And he really couldn't find a stable relationship. He was married like four times and shit. And it was it was real crazy. 
He was doing crazy shit, and you know, it was it was it was a good movie. It was a good movie, and and I battled with my spirit over watching it for like three days because my spirit was like, "You need to watch that," and I would be like, "You know what, man? I, I think I saw it like way back," and, and it would be like, "No, nah, man, I think you need to watch that. You you, you may learn something." And uh, one day I just jumped on Tubi, and I tried to watch it and I couldn't find it. The next morning, I just jumped on Tubi, and I wasn't even looking for it. And it was right there in my face. And I said, okay, it, it's been put right in my face. I'm going to watch it. And I watched it. And it was very, it was a very, very good film. Very good film. I think that he should have uh, at least been nominated for an Academy Award for that movie because of the vulnerability that he was able to uh, put out there. Because he was serious about the drugs, man. Serious. It was all types of shit. Every, you know, basically, since he didn't have a good relationship with his mom, he didn't, you know, he couldn't really have a great relationship with any other woman. And it was really, you know, he was always uh, dependent. And then the females would hurt him. Because... He didn't feel um, adequate as a person, and and that was the and that was the the scene that was the parts of the movie that that got with me is the the history with women because I don't have the best relationship with my mother and my uh, history with women not that great either. So I think that uh, I've never been married, but I've been through a whole bunch of uh, terrible fucking relationships. I've been cheated on a bunch of fucking times. Yeah, man, just attracting the wrong women, but they were they're a part. They were a part of me, so that's why I attracted them. And that's what I understand now. It was it was not that they were bad women. I didn't feel good about myself, so I allowed them to treat me badly. So, you know, watching that movie, it really opened my eyes and it really uh, taught me that I have grown and I'm, I'm over. I've, I've won the battle with myself and, and addiction, but I, I know I still have to keep fighting because I was able to look at it and I didn't feel any shame for where I was. I didn't look back at it and go, man, I was getting drunk and shit. You know, man, I, I remember that shit. I was just be crazy for that no I didn't see myself and then immediately start feeling discouraged I started looking back for where where I came from and where I am now and then at the end of the movie he kind of got clean too so it was I really felt the connection between me and that film and I understand why my inner self was telling me to uh, watch that movie because we all fall man we all fall but you always have the choice to stay down or get up. And uh, Jojo got up and it was pretty awesome. And I'm uh, working my way back up right now. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself. And that's just uh, one of the things that I've, I'm really learning how to do is to, to pat myself on the back. It's really, uh, it's really hard for me because I never, I told you guys before, I never really had positive 
reinforcement. So I kind of feel like an arrogant asshole by saying I'm proud of myself. Look at I look what I did. Clap my clap my hands for me. But you know it's really that I I uh, need to hear positive, more positive self talk if I want to uh, change my belief system and change my perception of my own self. So I have to I have to do it. And uh, today, today, I finally checked out a movie that uh, Jacoby. Um, you can find him on Instagram at Blow Your Minds Sweets. That's a, a his ice cream company that's in stores now, and it's got the like some delicious cheesecake ice cream. Uh, if you ever had a show at like El Charo and Jacoby Willis is there, talk to him. He's a decent brother, and it's got a good business sense and it's always a good conversation. Loves the women. <laughs> But yeah, he uh he told me about an old film from the nineteen seventies from uh that was directed and made by uh Melvin Van Peoples. It was called Watermelon Man. And I didn't really I was kinda thrown off the by the title because I thought it was like super racist. Which it which it which it was, but not not in the way that you think it uh would be it was about a it was about a white man who worked at an insurance company and and had his white life and whatever he uh went to sleep one night and he woke up a jet black man and uh it was um played by godfrey cambridge uh he he played the the first i want to say the first I want to say the first 20 to 30 minutes he played uh played the character in whiteface. He played a white guy wearing whiteface. It was very uh it was very funny, very funny. But uh, I found out that he was the first com- first uh black male actor comic to um star in a movie wearing whiteface. And it was basically it was basically a commentary and, and basically a kind of a eye open eye opening film. Basically, the the trying to show you that a, a white person's worst nightmare is waking up black. Because after he woke up black, the first couple of days everything was cool because they all thought it was some stupid shit. Like he he was he had a. a a tanning lamp or or something like that and they they thought that he sat under that motherfucker too long so he burned himself so they figured after a few days he'll turn white again and, and, and you know so they kind of treated him kind of like they treated him when he was white and then he went through this whole phase where when he first found out that he was black he, he tried to do everything in his power to get his white skin back it was and that's where all the funny shit is in the movie because it's a comedy. But that's where all the funny shit is, is where he was trying to get back black. He like plastered himself like a he tried to make a white mold of his of his head. He, he took a fucking milk bath and was uh, doing voodoo spells in the bathtub while sitting in, in milk. It, it, it was crazy, man. It was, 
It, it was one of the funniest movies I ever seen. And the thing about it is he did this peculiar thing when he was white. He did this peculiar thing. Every day he would go to work with his briefcase and his suit. But he would race the bus. He would run down the street, racing the bus to the bus stop closest to his job. And then he would get on the bus stop there and catch, you know, the bus the the rest of the way to work. So and then everybody on the bus, they were like cool with him because he's a white guy. And they were like uh, every day they would try to, you know, beat him to that stop and they never could do it. And then it was crazy. He was uh, um, he had a good standing at his job. Everybody liked him except for one white lady. She didn't really fuck with him. And then after he uh, after he turned back black, after he turned black, man, it was <laughs> total opposites, man. After they got used to him as a black man, they realized that he wasn't going to turn back white. His life fell apart. Like His life fell apart. It fell apart slowly. Like he got demoted at work and they started making him work with a. Uh, with other uh, colored people because he sold life insurance and shit. So they, they basically made him the agent that sold to the colored clients that they wanted. He was basically a black representative of their lily white company. And uh, it, it was crazy. It was crazy because he didn't go to work for two days because he didn't know how his white world would accept the black hemp. So he didn't go to work for two days and uh, when he went back to work, he he did what he always did. He uh, raced the damn, he raced the bus. And now he black, though. Now he black. So he's running down the street, and he ends up running into a crowded area full of white folks. And they start shouting, thief, <laughs> thief, and, and chasing him and shit. And then they all mobbed him, and then the police came and shit, and they were harassing him. Then the black bus driver had to come and, and basically tell him, hey, man, this dude was racing. He was running for the bus. I see him every day. What is wrong with running for the bus? It, it, it was crazy. It, it, was, it shows the, the dynamic of his, own, of his own people. But it also was a, a lot of stuff that I noticed when he was a white man that was totally different. Because when he was black, the, the only white lady that wouldn't talk to him at his job... She wanted to fuck him because she liked fucking black dudes. And uh, when he was white, she would never talk to him. And his own wife, he found out his own wife was racist as fuck. Because she ended up leaving him. And uh, But when he was white, he wasn't attracted to her. He didn't want to sleep with her. She would let him treat her like shit. Just because he was white. But when he was he turned black, he wanted to sleep with her. And she did not want to go for that. She would turn over and go to sleep on him and all types of shit. It, it, it was a crazy movie. It was a crazy movie. But that's why uh, I respect uh, Melvin Bam people so much. Because he was able to, to be honest about racism. He didn't really have a great standing. Uh... In, in the business because he was shedding that type of light on white people. And when you do that, 
is 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 fucking bad for you. But it was it was that's why I love him. I respect him because he man he would put the truth out there, and and it was just a really really good film. It made me um made me love Godfrey Cambridge even more because I fell in love with Godfrey Cambridge when I saw him in an episode of an old TV show from the seventies called uh, Night Gallery. Uh, he was it's an episode called Make Me Laugh. And he played a struggling comedian who was struggling to get laughs. And he uh, met a genie and he told the genie, he asked the genie to uh, make him, he, to allow him to make people laugh. And he did the genie did that. And it turned out to be a curse because he got everything he wanted. Until he wanted to do a movie that was more serious. So he and everybody would laugh at everything he said. So he would deliver his lines and people would laugh. So he would get he got mad and he went back to the genie. He's like, you know what? I don't want to make people laugh anymore. I want to make people cry. I think I told you guys about this before. The um and just as the genie said, you know, it is done. He turns to walk away and gets hit by a bus. And everybody who was out there started crying. And that was when I was like, oh, shit, who is this Godfrey Cambridge brother? And I went and I looked him up. And he was the funniest as that's just for just for America's sake, let's just say funniest black comedian of like the 1950s or some shit like that, the 1950s or 60s or something. And I watched one of his sets and he was fantastic. What I admire about him most is that he's clean. I could be clean, too. I just don't like it. I really don't like to do clean comedy I don't it's like like I told you guys before it's like I I took a ingredient out of a a major dish it just don't sound the same when when I try to clean it up it's not that it's not funny I'm actually funnier when I do go clean I've had some smasher clean sets but just my personal preference I can't stand that shit but I admire the fuck out of it like Sinbad awesome Clean as a whistle and awesome. So I'm kind of just, I'm kind of jealous of of guys like uh, Goffy Cambridge. I know I could work on it or whatever, but I kind of like what I do now. But I do, I have been contemplating cleaning it up, though. I have been contemplating because I do, I write relatively clean. I just throw fucks in there and motherfuckers. Just like I do here on the podcast. But that's that's just me trying to, you know, put a little of authentic me into my sets. So and when I take that away, it's like a little bit of authenticity is is taken from me. So that's why I kind of despise clean comedy. But if you can do that shit clean and you're good at it, it's fantastic. I ain't going to fucking lie because I watched the dude set and I'm like, man, he is great. I understand why white people gave him. Uh, that respect. So, um, if you get a chance to, man, check out those two movies. Even if you're not black, 
check out Watermelon Man and uh, Jojo Dancer because those are two two old movies by two great comics that 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 kind of make me wonder what happened because we don't they make we make good movies sometimes but it's like really really rare. I remember when growing up it was the objective was to be a hit film. Now they just streaming out bullshit cuz they know we'll fucking buy it. Like that Lion King remake. That shit didn't need to be remade, especially with live action animals whose mouths and shit don't even move. That shit was like a disrespect to the original film. But um with that being said, this has been uh, Comic Chat, episode number 91. 91, can you believe that shit? Uh, I'm your host, Glendon McGee. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Glendon McGee. That's G-L-E-N-D-O-N-M-C-G-E-E. And you can find me on uh, Insta, IG, or the Gram whatever name you go and and call it by uh that's the handle is uh at gm3 comedy that's at gm the number three and comedy um i just want to say that you guys are amazing you are beautiful and i i'm very very happy and grateful that you uh listen to my podcast and and because everybody who listens kind of encourages me to make another another episode so Thank you guys for uh, being a um, wonderful audience and uh, supporting Comic Chat. I'm pushing towards 100, and um, I'm hoping that my my stats can grow. But, well, when I say stats, subscribers can grow. So if you check out this podcast on a regular basis, please tell your friends about it, and uh, hopefully they uh, like it and they'll subscribe. But... Uh, I just want to say that you guys are worthy of everything. You are one with God and you are one with everything that you desire. Uh, You're a beautiful spiritual being. You're not a physical being. You're a spiritual being. You're a magnet for everything that you desire and it will come to you if you ask and believe that you will receive it. Life is not as much of a struggle as we tend to make it for ourselves. Uh, because we want to follow society and trends and all the other distractions and shit that keeps us from our true selves. So, um, I just want to say, man, you guys are awesome. And I am grateful for every one of you. Um, this podcast can be found on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Breaker. And right here on this uh, lovely casting platform called Anchor. I'm supposed to be at The Perch this Thursday in uh, Glendale. I think that's the uh, only booking that I have so far. I know I'm supposed to be doing something in August on the 19th. I don't know exactly where it is, but I, I know that that, will, um, that show is happening next month. And I will give you guys the details as I receive them. Um <clears throat> Yeah, you guys are, like, awesome. Don't allow anybody to tell you that you cannot be anything that you desire to be because you are literally 
spiritually aligned with everything that you desire to be, do, own. It's literally a part of you. All you have to do is align your your current self with it so that it can uh, so that you can manifest it from the uh, realm of invisibility until the realm of earth. So thank you guys for listening until next time. You guys are beautiful and I love you all. Goodbye.